Today we talk messaging, memories and just a hint of mayhem as we dig deep into the history of Barry Lewis Polisar on Benny Asking People Questions. Today's guest is almost impossible to define. It's not that his music is hard to pin down, but rather his entire career. It seems to fall somewhere within this notion of longevity, breaking new ground and presenting himself as the anti-establishment saviour of children. However, there is this undeniable notion of cult status that revolves around his every move. But within all of this, there is an unwavering determination to be himself and to be the person he believes children need, something that after almost 50 years in the business, makes him not not only wholeheartedly genuine, but completely unique in the truest sense of the word. He is a standalone artist and he currently stands alone or potentially sits alone on the phone with me today all the way from just outside Washington, Barry Lewis Pulsar. Um, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. It's great to it's great to chat with you. Um, now, from the outset, I have to apologise and say I'm in Australia, so you're new to me. And well, apart from some of the very obvious songs that I know of yours, which I did not know were yours, but um, what an extraordinary gift it has been for me <laughs> to find out about you and and to search your career. It has been an extraordinary journey for you. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride and and a fun one. I you know, of course, you know, a little bit sidelined with COVID here in the in the US and so this is sort of my sabbatical year, but yeah, I've been pretty much going strong since 1974, 1975. You know, I had I had a bit of exposure there, uh, which which is kind of fun for me because when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to listen a lot to the to 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 a lot of songs from all over the world, and some, some including some artists from from Australia and from England, and from you know pretty much all the different influences. So there is kind of a world component to to the way music gets around. Yeah, absolutely. And what I got from your career is that you you are there is this real cult status. I mean, I think the people that know about Barry Lewis Polisari, I love love you. They are enormous fans that would go to the yep. ends of the earth for you and and I, I have to say by the end of the, today I'm there now uh, oh, whereas whereas a week ago I may not have been there because I wasn't hugely familiar but I want to just let's just sort of start at the at the whole thing for you because quite quickly and early on you presented yourself as this kind of irreverent I guess cheeky bold it wasn't a terribly new concept but it was new back then yeah, and, and and it wasn't even it wasn't even something that I I attempted to do on purpose. It was just sort of my style, and I guess really my sense of humor. And and I came at it, my my songs more as a satirist and more as as a as a humorist. And so you know elements of humor. And I was like I tried to steer away from the kind of didactic preachy songs and try to sort of use my songs to hold a mirror up to our lives and to the lives of kids. And as we know, our lives are very funny. They're filled with ironic, funny things that happen. <laughs> Absolutely, particularly children's lives. I mean, they, they are phenomenally entertaining and, and beautiful when you sit back and actually take note of them. How was it sure. received early on 
in those days because because it is you know some of it for for seventy five I I imagine from a teacher's perspective was quite confronting. Well, I, I have to be honest. It, it it was actually easier and more receptive to find an audience then than it has been in, in more recent years. Ah. As, as children's music has become a little bit more codified and, and a sense of what it should be versus just kind of anything goes. I mean, I did have the advantage in the sort of post-60s environment that there was a lot of uh, openness and, and freedom to just explore different styles different styles of music and different things that I wrote about. And, and, and it was sort of the irony of my career that I began a career writing songs for kids, but songs about siblings and teachers and parents and, and kind of not necessarily, I wouldn't say negative views of them, but, but what I would say kind of honest views of them. Mm. But yet at the same time, I was being hired by teachers and parents to play at libraries, to play at schools, to play at the venues. You know, it's kind of like what Woody Guthrie used to say about his songs. He was singing about the workers, but he was being hired by the radio stations and the record companies, you know, and, and he had to walk a thin line. I sneaked into the kitchen in the middle of the night and I found a chocolate cake and I cut it with a knife. Twelve pieces did I cut and eleven of them I ate and one by one there was almost none left upon the plate. My very first concert uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll backtrack just a bit. I, I since you asked, uh, I started working with a group, uh, a group of, of women who are older than I was, who were running an arts camp, and they needed somebody to do music for kids. And I had just learned how to play the guitar. I, I knew three or four guitar chords, Excellent. and they wrote me into this this project. And I mean, it was it was like heavenly. I, I just loved. You know, it was five days a week for like five weeks in the summer and I'd come there every day and I'd bring out my guitar and I'd go from classroom to classroom and I'd, I'd make up songs on the spot and I'd sing some favorites, you know, old Donovan songs and John Prine songs and, you know, just whatever I, whatever songs I knew and the kids would sing mm -hmm. along. And then about six months later, while I was a student at the University of Maryland, never, ever intending to have this as a career, never, ever expecting that I could turn this into a, no. you know, almost 50 <laughs> no one ever, No one ever does, I think, with kids' music. No, right, right. <laughs> so so uh, a teacher saw me with the guitar and asked me if I'd ever performed at a school, and I said no, but I did this camp job the, the summer before and I had a lot of fun and she said well would you come to my school and, and sing your songs oh and I said no I said I can't do that you want me to get in on a you want me to stand on a stage in front of 500 fifth graders and sing songs that I've written I mean I, I can't do that but she talked me into it and I had an incredible time and and after that program they wanted me to sit down with a group of kids and talk about being a writer, how, how do I get my ideas? Where do I, where do my songs come from? But before I could do that, this, the moment the, this, the show was over and the energy in that room was incredible. Mm. I mean, the kids were laughing and giggling and getting quiet at all the right spots and laughing, you know, you know, uh, outrageously at the, at, the, at, the, at the funny parts. And as soon as the show was over, I put my guitar away 
and I got mobbed. The kids came up to me at the edge of the stage. Mr. Polisar, where did you get those songs? Mr. Polisar, how do you write your songs? I mean, they were asking me all the questions that, you know, I was hoping I was going to get in the workshop that was going to happen in 15 minutes. All of a sudden, one of the teachers came from the back of the room and started yelling at these kids. What are you talking for? You're not here to have a good time. This is an assembly program. You're, you wipe those grins off your faces. You're acting just like children. I mean, and, but it was gold. I was, oh my gosh, I, I actually, the unprepared writer, I didn't even have a piece of paper or a pencil on me. I asked one of the kids if I could borrow his paper and pencil. And I started writing down everything the teacher said. And I went home that night and I wrote a song called, I've got a teacher and she's so mean. I got a teacher, she's so mean, she never laughs, she always screams, she says pay attention and do what I said, but if you ask me, she's crazy in the head, oh she makes me nervous. Almost overnight I was typecast, I had lots of friends who were teachers, and they'd call me up and they'd say, hey, we heard you wrote this song about a mean teacher, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I'm going to get in trouble, and then they'd say, can you come to my school and sing that song? So I put myself through college singing songs in the schools and every every concert, you know, led to another song, led to another concert. And it was a very organic process. And, mm. and you know, four months later, I had written like 20 songs. I had gotten hired for the for the following summer, working in the parks, going from park to park, singing my songs to these groups of kids, you know, in the park system. Mm. And, and and at the time, I mean, I made more money than I ever imagined I could make, which is about maybe $500 by the end of the summer. Uh, but this was 1975. And I said, you know, I just earned this money doing something that I love. I just want to, like, give it all back. I, and so I took the money and I went into a recording studio and I recorded all the songs I had written. The reason is that every time I did one of these park shows, somebody would come up at every show Mr. Pulsar, those are pretty funny songs. Where did you get them? I, I wrote them. Oh, you wrote them? Do you have an album? And, you know, you hear that enough. I said, well, you know, I, you know maybe I should have an yeah. album. And that's how that first album came. And, and was was that, were those, those people, major, like, I mean, was it a pretty equal footing coming from parents and teachers as well as the children? Because I guess, I mean, you'd, you'd mentioned people like Woody Guthrie and, I mean, there's there's that element to your music where, and I guess if you're coming off the back of the 60s and all that kind of, and the 70s and obviously the Vietnam War and things like that, it was, you, you are in a culture of people that are, are kind of saying, well, you're in a movement of people that are saying, we're not being spoken on behalf of. We're having decisions made for us. And I guess what's really stands out in your music for the children was this idea that, you know, yes, you're 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 not saying negative things about your sister. You're saying truthful things in in jest. Like it is all about the truth yeah. of the of those private moments that a child has. And I imagine for a child, and even to this day, that would be an enormous, enormously liberating idea to be able to go, oh my goodness, this person is saying exactly what I am told never to say out loud. Right. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly that's exactly what the appeal was. And and, and that was also my my element. I mean, I, I caught the tail end of the 60s and into the early 70s. And people who are maybe five or six years older than I was were right in the thick of that. Uh, you know, my 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 folk heroes were were, you know, were uh, 
you know, John Prine and, and Loudon Wainwright and Tom Paxton and Phil Oaks and, and Pete Seeger and, and the singer songwriters, you know, lots of, and lots of other songwriters and singers and, and performers who were not as well known as those, those folks. And so it was kind of a natural for me to pick up a guitar and, and, you know, and, and just kind of learn some mm. of their songs. In fact, I, I just this morning being, being snowed in today, I was going through some of my files and, and I came across this whole stack of old, old rough drafts and manuscripts of some of my very early songs, the songs that, that I wrote even before I recorded albums for kids. And, and then, oh yeah, there's, there, there, there was my, you know, there was my, my John Prine stage and there was my, my, my Loudon Wainwright stage. And, and I found poems. I said, oh yeah, there was my Richard Brodigan stage. And there was my, you know, I found, I, I, I mean, I could kind of almost pinpoint the different influences I had in, 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 in the writing style that I had. And it wasn't until I started writing songs that I kind of found my own voice mm. because at that point, nobody else was doing that. They were writing for adults or kid songs were very preachy and very, you know, they were very different than the kind of things that I was writing. And so yeah. once, once I started, it just went from there. I, a day would not go by when I wouldn't get an idea for a, a song. Yeah, and I think you can hear that in the first few albums, definitely, where it, it, it almost feels like a stream of consciousness listening to those two albums in particular. It's like, you know, like you mentioned, it's just you and a guitar in a studio. And I almost right. have this, yeah. I always have this, I almost have this idea that you, that's the only way you could do it because they're just coming out so fast and you have so much to say or you know, it's like you're finally released that the 70s for you in terms of, you know, your children's music was you just going, I just book somewhere. I'm going to go in somewhere and just get all this stuff out. I've just got to get out of my system. And, 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 and I only got $500 to do it and with. I've got $500 so to do it with. got to get it all in. You know, yeah. I mean, actually, I think the, the first album was clearly just one take, one shot. You know, go, you know do yeah. it and record it and it's done. And, you know, keep the, keep the, keep the off-key singing, keep the attitude and guitar I mean, when I listen to those old albums, I sometimes go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I left that. I left that, you know, that, that on. I can't, you know. I mean, I used to I used to joke that the first two albums uh, only only had three or four guitar chords because I only knew like four or five and I didn't want to show off. You know? yeah. <laughs> the truth is not so far away. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to alienate the children too much by bringing in a fourth chord and uh, showing how good right. you are at it. When our dog Bernard, who lived in the backyard, Yard decided to run away. He left a note taped to the front door. I'm tired of this life, he said. I'm tired of eating dog food, blech, and getting chased off. All the beds. Our dog. Well, just I just want to ask one question about those early stages, then we'll move on because I mean, it, yeah, there's yeah. so much has happened to you. It's, it's I almost feel if you know I would happily sit here and speak to you for the next forty hours, but I'm <laughs> sure you at some point will have something else to do, and my children will ring me saying, "Why aren't you picking me up from school?" But there's one <laughs> there's one song I want to touch on from that first because you talk about these early stages, like you found all these old writings and things like that, and it's almost like you can't help yourself. There's a song when Susie sneezed. Right now, when Susie sneezed, to me, that song just sums up that whole early part of your career for me because I think it's just this. 
It's such a beautiful, beautifully powerful way to talk about, and correct me if I'm wrong, to talk about the idea of war and and that kind of thing with children. It kind of highlights this absurdity of expectations and rules that dictate everything that you do. But for me, it kind of lands in this when Susie sneezed, and I can't help but wonder, was that one particular song where you sort of went, oh, I've kind of got a bigger message I feel like I just want to say, and I think I've found a nice way of saying it, or am I yeah. just reading yeah. too much there of were- it? Yeah, there are there are a couple songs on 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 each of those early albums. I mean, not just when Susie sneezed, but the song "My Friend Jake" about the boy who doesn't like the way the world is right side up, so he walks upside down because all the frowns mm. become smiles, and and you know, and it's it's just his view of of the way things uh, should be. Um, you know, on my website, I have a I have a, a well, there's a lot of things on the website, yes. but I have a, a whole thing called <laughs> yes, other is. writings, uh, and 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 it, it's effectively is a, is like a blog of mine, except I, I did it like 20 years before there were blogs. Mm-hmm. And one of the articles that I wrote, one of the one of the stories I wrote is was was called "From Protest to Music," and it actually kind of links the old Barry from, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, before I did music and what led me to music. And and growing up outside of Washington, it was a political town. You know, the, mm. the, the anti-war movement was here. Uh, you know, I was, even at a very, very young age, I got drawn into issues of civil rights and issues of, of the anti-war movement and, and got it and was involved in those struggles. And so, uh, I mean, not not directly, but I mean, you know, in terms of protests and, and, and civil disobedience and things like that. And so when I started writing songs, I was also drawing on that part of me, mm. kind of the link from the political part to the to the musical part. And so uh, when Susie sneezed was exactly that. I mean, I mean, it also it also helped because I think I overheard a conversation about kids talking about, you know, trying to get each other to to, to to go on their side to, 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 you know, to be against somebody else. And it was like, wait a minute, isn't that what grownups do? And they, you know, and they have war. Well, yeah, it is. And so, um, that song grew out of those two experiences, kind of observing some kids in an interaction, but also with that background of, of, of kind of politics and war. Friend of mine came by last night and said, come on out and join in the fight between Robert and Richard and Susan and Jimmy cause they just started beating up Timmy cause Timmy hit Billy who punched out Steve when Steve hit Laura after Jack and Johnny hit Tommy and Richard hit Emily who accidentally pushed Debbie when Susie sneezed it sounded pretty strange what he wanted me to do cause I didn't even know Richard or Sue I said that's crazy that's nuts to fight someone who doesn't know us not at all he said happens all the time in fact we can even get grenades and mines yeah these things have happened before except when grown-ups do it they call it war do you get much comments on that song? Because you, you sort of mentioned earlier about how children's music, you know, we're now talking 40, 50 years later, we talk about children's music is has, is very message-driven now. I think there's a real expectation in music to have some sort of message in there for children. And sometimes it becomes incredibly overt. I mean, you know, you're, I guess you're already touching on these things way back then in 75. I mean, is the difference between then and now you just think it's kind of 
it doesn't have to be the main focus all the time. Are we losing the sense of also just rem- remembering that it's just pure fun that can be in there as well? Well, I think it's really hard to write something that, that you know, I think in a, in a funny way, all songs have a message. It's just how, 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 subtle, how subtle you want to be. Um, so, gosh, I mean, even, even a song like I'm a Slug, which is, which is a, a, a more recent song and is a more produced sound, and, and it's just a song about a slug, or is it? <laughs> it's a song about how there's just different life forms and maybe they all have to be respected. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just singing about a slug. Yeah. Pick me up, no need to squirm. I won't wiggle around like an itty-bitty worm. Don't got no fur, don't got no shell, no tail, no scale, and I ain't no snail. I'm a slug. I'm a slug. You know, it's a funny song, but it also has that sort of, you know, yeah. that sort of view. So, you know, I I really have always steered away from, you know, the overly didactic songs. And so even in When Susie Sneezed, it's a funny song, basically. I mean, it has it has a point, but it's a funny point. Yeah. You know, the, the kids have a big fight and, and, you know, but then the one kid refuses to go and join them. And, you know, and I'm the only one left to sing this song to you. <laughs> Everybody else. Just, you know, Everyone ran off and did it. Started fighting with Sue. Now I'm the only one left to sing this song to you. Cause Timmy hit Billy who punched out Steve. When Steve hit Laura after Jack and Johnny hit Tommy and Richard hit Emily who accidentally pushed Debbie when Susie sneezed. Well, let's let's talk. Okay, well, let's let's move on from the seventies because I mean, again, I could just dissect both those albums for for days. So let's move on. One thing I really love about your career, and again, like as I said, this has been such a joy for me to be able to go. Oh my god, there's fifty years. I'm just being introduced to it. It means it was incredible. But one thing I really love is to watching how you musically grew. I think one thing that's really strong about you is your messaging's there. Like you talk about that fun element and speaking on behalf of not. Speaking Speaking on behalf of a child, but speaking with the same sensibility of a child and and recognising those moments that might only happen in their quiet internal dialogue. But me, and you've kept that, but musically there's been a growth. Like 70s, obviously, like as we discussed, was you and a guitar. Then we hit the 80s, and the 80s became, I guess they became more considered productions, but they also became a little bit more. You know, I mean, the 12 string came in, which kind of added this almost this chaotic, crazy element to your music. Um, yeah. And then the 90s, again, we, we became, it became much more polished and a bit more rounded. I mean, have you, have you found your career musically like this? Is this to challenge yourself? Is this just age? Is this just the world around you changing? Is this money? Yeah, well, it's probably a little bit of everything. I, I think. Well, actually, I can. I, it's actually more than that. So, so first of all, when I when I do my concerts, it's still just me and the guitar. Oh, and as gosh. a matter of fact, I, I my first five or six albums were done with a twelve string guitar, and the later albums, uh, you know, were done with a six string guitar. I mean, actually, in a funny way, kind of kind of slimmed down a little yeah. bit to a more basic sound. And of course, I have this gorgeous, you know, large body Gibson guitar that has a beautiful full sound and that's the guitar that i use now um but my third album i started playing around with overdubbing uh by the by the time i did the third album i had a little bit more i mean the first two albums made a little bit of money i mean it, it's kind of funny i never i mean i i formed an anti-profit record company to release the albums uh, on and 
lo and behold, you know, the first album sold out and made some money <laughs> and I reprinted it and then I had money left over. So, you know, I said, well, I don't want this money. I'm just going to make another album. And then the second album did well and I made the third album. And by the third album, I started doing things like overdubbing, you know, the, all those voices, which I, I called the Barry Lewis Pulisar self-aggrandizement <laughs> choir. I mean, they were all me, but, you know, some don't really know and some up real high. But when you, when you did multi-tracking and you played them all together, I mean, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was wild. Um, and, and, and uh, so, but, you know, there's a, and then of course, then I got into the nineties and, and then I really did have a budget. I mean, after you know, 25, 30 years, I, <laughs> I had, I had a little bit of money to go back in the studio, but there was a reason for that. And the reason was after 20 years of writing songs, releasing albums, and, and, and going in the school singing, I had one school district that actually tried to have me banned, tried to have my, my albums and mm. my concerts uh, banned from the schools. And it actually became a big story in the U.S. Uh, it, was, it was in all the newspapers and, and uh, gosh, I mean, it, it was it, it, the ACLU got involved and it was kind of a legal case. And they eventually changed their mind. They eventually went kind of, oops, you know, what were we thinking? Because, you know, it was at an error that in the U.S., and I'm not sure how it is over there, but it, it was in, it was at a time when everything was being looked at very critically. Mm. Um, two live crew was on trial for obscenity in, in a concert in in Florida. Yep. Uh, Robert Mapple, the, the, the Dennis Berry who directed uh, an Ohio art museum, was on trial in Ohio for obscenity because he showed the Mapplethorpe uh, uh, photographs. And I mean, there were there were all these. Uh, Jesse Helms was making you know all kinds of accusations. Uh, you know about art and and censorship. Around and then Zappa was Zappa was in and, court, wasn't he? Defending lyrics and everything. Oh yeah, Zappa Zappa had tons of things, mm-hmm. and and so then along comes this little school board in my own home state that said, <laughs> "Now we think don't put your a song like don't put your finger up your nose is a bad idea because it might give kids I you know might give mm-hmm. kids ideas." And I went, "Wait a minute, like like uh, like children would never." think of putting your finger i mean i wrote the song don't put your finger up your nose because your nose knows it's not the place it goes because kids do that and you know and and most teachers told me that it's a perfect song to teach to you know to use with kids to teach them not to do that so so anyway i won the case i got reinstated back in the schools it was a little blip in my career it actually led to to have me getting a tv show i know I mean, it, all, you know, the world works in, you know, you know, really wondrous and odd ways. And as John Pine said, that's the way the world goes round. You're up one day and the next you're down. You know? Don't put your finger up your nose because your nose knows it's not the place it goes. You can sniffle, you can sneeze, but I'm asking you, please don't put your finger up your nose. Don't stick your finger up your ear. Then your ear will find it hard to hear You can thump and you can tug it But please don't plug it Don't stick your finger up your ear Don't stick your finger up your nose Cause your nose knows it's not the place it goes You can sniffle, you can sneeze But I'm asking you please Don't put your finger up your nose I think that that's, that's the thing about your career though It, it seems... um. Your whole career seems to be this kind of, and I don't know how to say this um, 
I'm trying to find the best words of saying that. It's a very haphazard career. Like you said it at the start about you kind of just whatever went next, you know. And but but I guess the I guess the testament to the quality of what you're doing or the the need of what you're doing is this idea that, you know. It, it always just led to, like, it's almost like what, I mean, I still don't understand anyone on the face of the earth thinking that why banning something means you'll get rid of it. I mean, the second you ban something, right. everybody wants to hear it. I mean, I just, I still don't understand why human beings think that's the logical way to put something underground. But it's, um, you know, but, but you know, you've gone from these songs, you know, and then you just all of a sudden found one of your songs on Juno. And then, you know, how does a band artist end up playing at the White House? <laughs> well, yeah, right, right in the middle, right in the middle of that. I think they weren't paying attention or something. I don't know, but well, that so 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 what happened? Well, and so to answer that question, I, I would say that I, I have lots of different interests in being mostly a writer. You know, I'm you know one one kind of creativity leads into another. So the songs lead into the poems, the poems lead into books, the books lead into the TV show. But but once that 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 censorship thing ended, and and I will say that it it did it did. It, it, I wasn't quite sure it was going to be great because you know you you can say censorship. And you get a lot of publicity, but I think you, it's really hard to say censorship and children in the same breath and and not come out unscathed. And mm. because I, I think that you got I got I quickly painted as a controversial artist for a very brief time in my life. Right. And and I had teachers and principals calling me up and saying, "Oh man, we we bring you into our school every year, and the kids love you, and the teachers love you, and the parents love you, but." Ah, we were told that we need to kind of stay away this year because it's just too much in the news and it's too hot. And I wow. think, truthfully, I my career might have even ended had it not been for the fact that I'd been around for 18, 19 years and I had lots of defenders. Uh, the Maryland Library Association gave me a, a special recognition award. Uh, the, 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 the Penn Writers Center gave me uh, notices. I, I got a lot of people coming to my defense saying, wait a minute, we're not yeah. talking about anything absurd, obscene. We're not talking about anything, you know, we're just talking about a funny sense of humor. So when it was all over and I'm back in the schools and uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I talk a little bit on the website about, you know, after after all of that, you know, adventure, I go back in the schools and I'm thinking, gosh, do I say something? This is my very first concert back in the county with, that tried to ban me. And here I am. <laughs> and the press is all around because it's like my first show. But I'm also playing for kids who don't know any of this. And yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to do my work as if it picking up where I left off. And and I remember at the very sort of maybe the end of maybe the middle of, of, of my show, I, I, I sang my song Underwear. Underwear is everywhere, but mostly underneath. And, and the last line of the song is uh, uh, underwear with lots of holes is a sorry sight. Look around and try to see who's wearing theirs too tight. And every, every single teacher in the auditorium stood up and applauded. Oh, <laughs> and I was Amazing. like, oh my, they were aware of everything that had been going down. And I mean, it was like a really fulfilling moment. And, and it was like, it was a way of kind of commenting on it, 
you know, subtly, but also kind of being acknowledged. And that was really nice. So when that was all over, when that was all over, um, I then started thinking, you know, there's truth everywhere. There's There's a kernel of truth in everything. What was it about those early albums that bugged this one teacher. I mean, because that's all it was. It was yeah. a high school teacher. It was a high school teacher who heard my music. He was a music teacher, and you know, he he felt you know like, uh, you know, I I used to say at the time that I should I he shouldn't have been the one reviewing me. It should have been like a a, a librarian or a reading teacher yeah. because my songs were literary. They weren't music. He he was concerned with scales and harmonies, and my stuff didn't have that. But anyway, when it was all over, I I, I said, what is it that 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 you know that was bugging him and and I realized that every one of those old songs was a was a piece of its time. I had written the song that reflected you know the reflected the the, the experience of the time I wrote it, and here it was now twenty years later, and sensibilities changed, humor changes yeah. and so i I went back and I said, you know. I have a budget to actually take these off-key, out-of-tune recordings and go back and and kind of do a little bit more polished versions of some of these songs. And that will give me the chance to tinker a little bit with some of the uh, the lyrics, not not censor, not self-censor, but just you know the things that I wrote then. Maybe I maybe I'd write them a little bit different. And I'll give you an example. Um, this, that, you're, talk, you're specifically talking about the um, Old Enough to Know Better album, aren't you? Is this kind of weird? No, no, no. No, I'm not, actually. I'm not. I'm talking about the albums that came out yep. in, the, in the 90s, uh, Old Dogs, New Tricks, yep. Family Trip, and Teacher's Favorites. And 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 so on one of the original songs, uh, one of the original albums, I have a song called Early Sunday Morning. And it's about two kids that get into a food fight and completely trash the house. And it's a very funny song because it's so outrageous. It would, you know, I mean, there was food flying all over, and 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 when the parents finally, you know, wake up, there's a line, you know, uh, you know, uh, that mommy was no, daddy was angry, and mom yelled some more. No, God, what was it? Mommy was angry, and daddy got the strap, and they didn't tell the stories when they put us on their laps. Yeah. Well, you know, when I wrote that line in the '70s, that was reflexive of how. My parents, yeah. you know, dealt with things. You know, I was using the idea of, you know, being punished. And the strap was like a metaphor. But boy, in 1990 yeah, or 1995, totally. when you sing that, it's suddenly child abuse because sensibilities yeah. change. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, I rewrote that line. Daddy was angry. Mom yelled some more at us. She said we had to clean up. There was nothing to discuss. You know, it's the same concept, but it, it kind of brought that. So- it basically saved that song. Mm-hmm from extinction because you know if i hadn't made that change i mean you know every time i'd sing that song you know people would kind of go what did he just say did he just say did he just say you know taking a strap to the children i mean that's so 70s 1970s it's 1960s it's 1950s Anyway, so I, I 
I had a chance to re-record my favorite songs, my, my favorite songs that I still wanted to sing and perform in the schools. And I had a budget and I brought in, you know, fiddle player and a yeah. slide guitar player and a clarinet player and all this. I mean, great production. And those albums won awards. And then what was really funny was when 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 Jason Reitman got in touch with me to, to, to for my, because of my song for, uh, on Juno, I, w- I said, well, you know, he had heard the old old version. He'd heard the original version that I had recorded in 1977. And they said, well, you know, Jason, I, I, I've got a newer version of that, which is you know, much more polished and I'm, I'm singing on key and the guitar's in tune. And he listened to it and said, nope, nope, nope. I like the old one. Yeah. <laughs> I like that rough one. I like the old, you know, you know, the old rough version. And that's the song that kind of got a second life, uh, you know, when, when, when it was used to open the movie Juno. If I was a flower growing wild and free, all I'd want is you to be my sweet honeybee. And if I was a tree growing tall and green, all I'd want is you to shade me and be my leaves. And what an extraordinary thing to have to happen, like, a, you know, 20 odd years into this career that you'd never imagined 30. you'd ever have. 30, <laughs> 30 years into a career that <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you swore you'd never do. You're now yeah. being, you know, you're now on arguably the one of the most popular films of the decade, if not the most popular that year. Um, did, did that, what did, what did that change for you? I mean, did that, you're talking before about this audience in Australia. I mean, did, did it did it do that for you? Did it just all of a sudden throw you into the lounge rooms of a whole new generation of people? Well, it did. I mean, well, there were a couple of things. I mean, first of all, the, the, those kids that I used to sing to in the, in the, in the mid-70s and, and late 70s, by the time the movie came out, were now adults, and many of them were parents with their own kids who wrote to me or emailed me and said, you know, I'm sitting in the movie theater, and, you know, I hear this voice comes on the on the on the, uh, in the speakers and I go I know that voice I, that's a, I had that album when I was a kid so it definitely reunited me with tons of fans from from that first wave of, of music that you know when, when those original albums came out but it also brought me to the attention of lots of people and not just that song but you know the other song that was on the Juno soundtrack you know, the Juno they, they released a soundtrack with the, with the song that were on the on the on the uh, on the movie, and then a year later they released what they called the the Juno Deluxe <laughs> soundtrack, which the second album was unadopted songs. Uh, Jason Reitman, the director, said that if he if he could have made a three-hour movie, <laughs> these are the, these are the, the other hours worth of songs, and I had another song, you know, on that album. But it also introduced me and my songs to to my whole catalog. Uh, it introduced my catalog pretty much to the world. Uh, people suddenly said, oh, he's got other songs. He's, yeah. he's written, you know, songs about this and songs about that. And and, and then came the commercial ads. And, and that was, you know, in my day in the 60s, you know, having a having a, a song on a commercial was sort of considered a, a, a sellout. Totally. But now, now it's considered buying in because that's about all that, that's left in terms of you know, if you're not performing and totally. sales, yeah. you know, everybody's streaming. Um, but uh, what happened was, the, the, for me, uh, as long as there was nothing that was really offensive, you know, in terms of the, you know, in terms of the ads. I mean, it, the ads actually brought in more fans than the movie did. I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, how, how weird to have this 
song in a movie and people discovered me that had never heard me before. And then the song started going all across the, the globe you know, on these commercials. And then I would just be hearing from people who would, you know, who, who is that singing that song? And, and then they'd look, they'd find my website. I mean, I mean, the, the only mistake is I, I probably, you know, I still had my like 30 year old website up on. You know, <laughs> I, I hadn't gotten like an upgrade, you know, I hadn't gotten around to doing that. So I, I finally did a few years back. But, but, you know, I mean, it really did kind of, it kind of gave me, you know, my whole career sort of a whole second life with, with, you know, with it, with a whole other generation. All I want is you, you be my bride. Take me by the hand and stand by my side. All I want is you, you stay with me. Hold me in your arms and sway me like a sea. If you'd like to know more about Barry and his work, then simply click on part two of this fascinating interview or alternatively, head along to www.barrylou.com. That's www.barrylou.com. And of course, for more Benny Time goodness, head along to www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny, ask Barry questions. 